wanna talk to you. I wanna get close to you. Oh Hashem, I wanna talk to you. I wanna get close to you. Oh Hashem, I wanna talk to you. I wanna get close to you. Oh Hashem, I wanna talk to you. I wanna get close to you. Okay, everyone. Good evening. Thank you for coming tonight. Tonight, tonight, our shir is sponsored by Sarah Khazanov. Our secretary, who's uh, now going on for uh, to other things, uh, I wish her tremendous, tremendous, tremendous success to Sarah and everything she does. She's been fantastic the time that uh, she's been working over here at Mayan, and I want to thank her for that. And also, she's dedicating tonight's shir for a Rafua Shalema for Yehuda Ben Chana Bracha. May the Abishter send Yehuda, may Hashem send him a complete and total Rafua Shalema, all those who need a Rafua Shalema, a complete and total Rafua. Speedy, speedy, because of Mamish, Mamish, Mamish. Thank you for that dedication. Another dedication tonight on the Shear. This is by Mrs. Krinsman, and this is in honor of her, the third yard site of her father, Shmuel ben Yaakov Leib. May his neshama have a very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may he channel to you and to your family, brachas, brachas, without an end. Thank you. The CD this week was dedicated by our dear friend, Reb Shloyma Goldner. And this is in honor of his father, whose yard site is going to be the 24th of, which I think is on Thursday the 24th of Sivan. Pinchas Elimelech ben, Reb Pinchas Elimelech ben Reb Asher Yeshaya HaLevi. May his neshama have an awesome aliyah, higher and higher and higher and higher, to the greatest, greatest heights, and may he channel very, very, very big brachas to you, Reb for you and your family, to your children, grandchildren, all that you need, all that they want. Much, much bracha, mazel, and only, only, only good things. And ach toiva chesed yedufucha, kol yamecha Only, only good. Thank you very, very much. Okay, that that was done. We're ready to begin. This week is a very exciting parsha. The parsha is parsha shalach. And in parsha shalach, we read a tragic story. We read about the spies that were sent to go to the land of Israel. And they mess up big time. And they drag the Jewish people into a terrible, terrible mess to the point that first Hashem wants to wipe them all out and then, and then finally the decree is that God tells that generation that they're all going to die and only the future generation, the next generation, their children are going to enter into Eretz Yisrael. That is the tragic story. We don't have to go through the details of what exactly happened because I'm sure everybody knows already the story of Parsha Shalach. The question we have today is there's something very, very interesting. In further in the parsha, it describes that um, Hashem says, Hashem is frustrated with the Jewish people, 
with the Maraglim, with the Jewish people, with these spies. And he says like this, hold on. In, in Revi'i, Pasuk Chav Zayin, it says, Vaydabed Hashem al Moshe vela Aaron le'emor, in Pasuk Chavav it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, saying, Al-Demosai, how long, lo'eidah ha'roh ha'zois, how much longer am I going to have to tolerate this um, bad assembly? So he's referring to the Jewish people as a bad assembly. But Rashi says he's not referring, God forbid, to the Jewish people. He's referring only to the spies. Zoyis is referring to the spies. Elu HaMaraglim is referring to the Maraglim. Meaning we could have learned the Pasuk that Hashem is maybe perhaps speaking about all the Jewish people. referring to the Maraglim, as you see further in the Pasuk, that they are causing all the Jewish people to complain against me. They are staging a revolt. They're causing the Jewish people to rise up against me. So we're talking about the perpetrators, those that are instigating, not those that became instigated, but those that are instigating. So Rashi says these are the Maraglim, but then Rashi adds an interesting thing, Mikan, but from here we see, Le'eda, that an assembly, Shehiyasara, that is ten. We know that in, in, in Jewish practice, it's very, very important always to have an assembly. For what? For anything holy. We need a minion. In order to be able to pronounce certain things that are, that are very, very holy, like uh, reading in the Torah, or saying the Kedusha, or saying Kaddish, and things like that, we need to have a quorum, we need to have a minion. What's a minion? A minion is an ada, An ada, an assembly. It is required that we have an assembly. Where do we know how many people is an assembly? How many people does it take? Five people, what's called an assembly? Call a meeting, you have five people, it's a small meeting. You have seven people, it's a little larger meeting, you have ten people. What exactly is the amount of people we need for a minion? So the Gemara learns this out in Masechtas Megillah. So it's also in, in other places. But the Gemara derives, uh, it's in Masechtas Sanhedrin, we, we have it, and in Masechtas Megillah, and also in Yerushalmi Megillah, that this is derived from this Pasuk. Because we refer, here we have a reference to ten people, and they're called Ada. Why do we have, an, where do we see that there are ten people over here? Altogether there were twelve spies. But Hashem is not complaining about all the twelve, because two of them were righteous. Two of them did not go along with that negative scheme. Uh, Yeshua Benun, Moshe Rabbeinu's great disciple, and Kalev ben Yefune, the agent, the, the one who was appointed from Shevet Yehuda, he didn't sin. These two remained faithful to Moshe and spoke only good about the land of Israel. The other ones said Lashon Hara. And Hashem is saying, how long will I tolerate this, this bad assembly? So he's referring to the bad, the rotten apples, so to speak, amongst the, these, these, these spies. Who were they? They were ten of them. And yet Hashem is referring to them as Ada. So from here we derive the halacha that a minion is an Ada, which is required for a minion, is ten that's, that's the thing. Now, this is really astonishing. We couldn't find any other place to establish the concept of a minion, but from wicked people who the Torah, who, who ended up not only sinning, but causing the Jewish people to sin after them and evoke God's wrath and bring about such devastation and such suffering. I mean, the miraglim is the root of all the suffering in the world. Think about it. They create Tisha B'Av, this happened on Tisha B'Av, and we know the consequence of Tisha B'Av. It's, it's a set. 
It's the golden calf together with the sin of the Maraglim. Begins on the 17th of Tammuz, concludes on Tisha B'Av. Hopefully this year will be transformed into a Yantif. But that is the, 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 the source of all tragedy, pain, and suffering, and all everything negative. And these were the 10 people who caused it all. And when we're looking to establish how do we know the amount of people that we need for a minion, we find them, and that's the assembly. I mean, it really doesn't make any sense. Now, you might say, well, there's nowhere else to derive it from. Yeah, but if the Torah wanted to teach you this, the Torah could have set it up in a way that you can find another source. There actually is another source, some where it's brought down, and I think you're also in Yerushalmi, there's another opinion that says that the 10 that we learn now is from the 10 Shvatim that went down to Mitzrayim. So there were 10 brothers that went down to Mitzrayim, to, uh, including Binyamin. And over there, so according to one opinion, Rishama, we can learn from there the idea of them. I mean, you know, that makes sense. These are the Shvatim, these are the, 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 the great Sadiqim. But these 10 guys, why in the world would we use them to be the, the source of a minion? Now you might answer and you say, well, that's exactly the whole point of a minion. We know that when you're gathering 10 Jews, it has holiness and it creates a very, 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 very powerful hashra, hashchina, and, it, and, and it's notwithstanding the quality of the people, it's notwithstanding the personal virtue of the individuals. Because the halacha is that a minion can be anybody. And even sinners can be in a minion. Even someone who's a complete rasha can be joined in a minion. That's the halacha. So therefore, to, in order to, uh, to validate this, we see that the, the actual origins of a minion are wicked people. So in addition to this, that it's difficult to say that, because first of all, to derive it from a place where it's only like, it's not like they had one, they had one problem guy, you know, one person that didn't belong there. They had the entire minion of wicked people. That's number one. But in addition to that, the question over here actually is if maybe these maraglim would not be able to even be used in a minion. Talking about that we can use even wicked people, because there is a discussion in Shulchan Aruch, in Beis Yosef, he brings it from Tshuva Sarajba, how wicked can someone be to be included in a minion? There's a possibility that if someone is a clear moireid Bashem, meaning a total apikores, or total non-believer, or someone who deliberately rebels against God, it's not that he does sins because he can't control himself, but he does sins deliberately. If I, there's a question if that person can be used for a minion. Now these people were considered moirdim, Murder meaning openly rebellious against God. You see that Kalev says to the Jewish people, Ach Hashem al timrodu. In God, do not rebel against Him. And Kalev is referring to the rest of the Jewish people, not even the Maraglim. So if Kalev is using the word Merida, a rebellion, regarding to this, this revolt, he's calling it a rebellion against God. So the Maraglim are definitely called rebels, those that are instigating, definitely called rebels. So there would be questionable if you can use the Maraglim for a minion. But in addition to that, this halacha that we establish a quorum and a minion derived from the Meraglim is not only regarding a minion where you can use anybody, but it regard, it's, even, it's, it's even regarding halachas where the minion cannot include wicked people. Regarding to what? We learn out from here that we need to have, in order to judge, uh, a, in order for a court, a court... The size of a court, how many people have to be in a based in in order to be able to determine a capital case. A case of capital punishment, how many people need to be in the minion in order to be able to establish that. So, there is, um, the Gemara says that you need to have 23 judges. And the Gemara derives it because it says, the that the Ada should save them and they should 
There's one word that says they should, they, the, the, the Eder should judge him, and the other one says they should save him. So we learn out there has to be an Eder, 20, two times Eder, which is 20. Now, in, and then we add more for whatever reason, because you can't have an equal thing, where do you get the other three? But, but Al-Kaponim, that's the idea. For a Sanhedrin, you need to have an Eder. Now, in a Sanhedrin, you definitely cannot use someone who's a sinner. But what do you see? That even when it comes to Sanhedrin, where a sinner or a wicked person does not qualify to be part of the Sanhedrin, yet where do we derive the halacha that, that an Eida is a minion? We derive it from the Maraglim, which doesn't make any sense. That this would be the source of the Eida, the assembly, for all halachas of Torah, including halachas that we can't use wicked people, if they are super wicked. So we have to say that even though apparently from the outside, when we read the story on the surface level, it seems like the Maraglim were really, really bad guys. But that's only on a superficial take. But when we take a look a little deeper, we see that they're not as they might be portrayed in the simple reading of the Chumash. Pnimiyas Torah, the inner dimension of Torah, Chasidus, gives us a whole deeper look into Maraglim, and then we realize that they actually were quite a spiritual group of people. Not only a spiritual group of people, they were a highly spiritual. They were people, the words of Lakuti Torah, he says the words, he says that they were, the, the Maraglim were in a very high madrega. And he brings Issa Besifrei Kabbalah. It's written in the writings of Kabbalah that the Maraglim's Nisham has come from a very high place. And they were in a madrigosam l'maylomaoid. They had a very, from a very, very high level. Comes out that the Pnimius, from the perspective of Pnimius Torah, from the internal, deeper look, from the esoteric inner neshama of the Torah, we see in the Maraglim and in their and in their and in their revolt, so to speak, or their action, not just not something negative, but something extremely positive, and a holy motivation. Now, there's no dispute that there was a sin committed. There's no dispute. But the question is, is it a gross sin? Which is, it appears, the way we read the, the Chumash, in the simple vein, as the Mepharshim, the commentators explain it, we're talking about a very selfish, gross uh, type of a sin. Or is it a very, 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 very refined type of a sin? A very elegant sin? These were people of great butt, they still sin because in the, the bottom, bottom end line they don't listen to God. So that, that, that's the sin. But really, there's tremendous virtue. Now usually we know that the two parts of the Torah, there, is, there are the rules in which we study the revealed part of the Torah and then there are the rules in which we study the hidden part of the Torah. And sometimes we, re- we, we kind of look at these two parts as a dichotomy. The very same story as we studied in Pshat will be very, very different than the story as we study it in the esoteric. And the two, but understanding that these are not two Torahs, it's only one Torah that God has given. And the esoteric is the neshama for the body. And just like body and soul are fused together, they come together to, sh- to create one whole, we have to say that the deeper soul element of the Torah is really one with the simple interpretation. And therefore, here is one of the places where we see that we cannot understand a literal halacha in Torah, a halachic element, a very tangible halachic reality without the esoteric element of the Torah. Or let's put it in other words, we have to say 
that this deeper appreciation of the story of the Meraglim that comes from Hasidus, that comes from the deeper way of understanding, is actually has impact and it has a, 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 a presence and it makes, a, it makes a, an impression on the pshat as well, on the simple story as well, that even in pshat, meaning even, it's felt and it's sensed even in halacha that the maraglim are not a bunch of hooligans. They're not a bunch of lowlifes. These must be people that had some, some, some great intention. Now, what does Hasidus say about the maraglim? It's not the intention of the class today. I'm just briefly going to say, because we learned this many times in many classes already on the Tuesday night, on the Monday class, for, for we discussed this idea many times. In Hasidus it says that the main uh, sin of the Meraglim was that they wanted to stay in the Midbar, the main motivation of the Meraglim. It wasn't because they were intimidated simply by the physical giants and by the power and they were intimidated and believed that God doesn't have the strength to defeat these people. They were afraid of the lifestyle of Eretz Yisrael. They were super, super enjoying, they were super uh, uh, excited about their current life. What was so great about the life in the Midbar? It wasn't the most comfortable physically. I mean, even though God took care of their needs, but you're still in the middle of a desert, in the middle of nowhere. So physically, not necessarily wasn't the most comfortable existence, but it was the most tranquil existence. It was a stress-free life. There was no anxiety. There was no worry and concern for Parnassa. God got you covered every day. And once you got used to living that way, I mean, utterly without any stress. You didn't have to do anything. No chores, no regular daily tasks, no business, no worries, no concern. Everybody's got their food taken care of. You don't have to do laundry because the, the clothing became laundered on its own through the Ananiah covered water, clothing. Everything was taken care of. So they were really, really living in a very, 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 very tranquil state. And what did that do to them? That enabled them to study Torah unhindered, without any, without any bother, without anything on their minds. And as a result of that, they can really, really, really connect to Hashem. That's what they wanted. These are people that loved God. These are people that encountered God. These are people that have been given the ultimate gift. The gift to be able to probe God's mind. And to connect and to cleave to God. Through learning His Torah and doing His mitzvahs. But they understood that when, once they go into the land of Israel, everything is going to change. Because now they have to go daily out to work for a living. They're going to become farmers, they're going to become doctors, they're going to become lawyers, they're going to become businessmen, entrepreneurs. With all the distraction and all that, and then you're going to, like we all know, how much time can we already squeeze out to study Torah today's days when we have so much on our minds? And they were exactly, that's what bonded them. They don't want to do that. So you can understand their motive is extremely, extremely, extremely pure. The problem is that had they gone into the land of Israel, what God had wanted them, and performed the physical mitzvahs, See, the land of being in the Midbar was a very spiritual existence. So they, they did mitzvahs, but they couldn't do all the mitzvahs. Because a lot of mitzvahs are pertaining to the land. We know how much Moshe Rabbeinu desired and longed to go into the land of Israel because Moshe wanted to have the chance to do all the 613. And in the Midbar, as spiritual as existence as life was, it didn't enable them to do many of the mitzvahs pertaining to the land. And... The, and this teaches us an amazing thing. That as great as spiritual life is, the greatest connection to God comes when you do a physical mitzvah on earth. So they lacked the appreciation of that. Had they gone into Eretz Yisrael, they would have had even a deeper connection to Hashem through doing mitzvahs. Okay, so that's what they, they, that's what they miscalculated. 
But still, their motivation was they believed that their type of service or their way of serving God that they appreciate and understood is the best way of serving Hashem. And they wanted to serve Hashem in the best way. And in their minds, that was the best way of serving. So they were going to do whatever they can not to go into Eretz Yisrael, or at least to delay it. So to give them more time in this utopian spiritual life that they had in the Midbar. Are you going to say, hold on, the Gemara says in Masech the Sanhedrin, that the Maraglim do not have a chilek in Olam Haba. They don't have a portion in the world to come that's like really bad, because every Jew has a portion in the world to come, but the Mishnah says, Masech the Sanhedrin, Maraglim don't. How are we going to say, how are we going to explain that? So by the way, it's interesting. In Mishnah Sanhedrin, Ataka says that, but in the Zohar is an argument. The Zohar says in... in um, the Zohar mentions, I looked up this interesting Zohar. The Zohar says that, the Zohar talks about, God forbid, saying, giving out a bad name on the Shekhinah. What exactly that means? A very, very interesting Zohar, maybe we'll discuss it another time. When someone says, is Moitzi Shemra, he says a bad, he gives out a, he says negative about the Shekhinah. And how that's the worst, worst thing. And that a person that does, that doesn't, cuts himself off completely from the world to come. And the Zohar says, and the Zohar compares it to the Maraglim. The Maraglim, they spoke bad, not on the Shekhinah, but on the Shekhinah's space in this world, which is the land of Israel. Kind of on the, on the physical nest of the Shekhinah, which is Eretz Yisrael down here. But since it was only kind of on the body, on the physical nest, so therefore they physically died, the Zohar says. They experienced death in their physical body, but not in their neshama, not in their soul. They didn't harm their soul. Because their blemish was in the physical side of the Shekhinah, which is in the land of Israel, so it, it harmed them physically on their bodies, but not their soul. But Chas Fisholm, the Zohar says, someone who leaves out a bad name on the Shekhinah, so that causes that they, God forbid, destroy their neshama, their soul. Clearly stated from the Zohar that um, the Maraglim did not destroy their neshamas, only their bodies, which means their souls go to the afterlife and to Olam Haba. So, I'm saying, the Gemara does say that, Zohar's of argument, it's not clear, so we, that, that's, the, that's the, but now we'll understand, this will make sense, why we can learn out the, the, the minion from the Maraglim, again, the whole halacha of a minion, of a quorum, of ten Jews, of an assembly, of a holy assembly from the Maraglim, because these were very idealistic people, these were holy spiritual people with holy intentions. This will also explain something else, which is really interesting. What was the punishment of the Maraglim? What happened? What happened was, I'm saying, the Maraglim and the generation. The Maraglim themselves died immediately a very, 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 very um, despicable kind of death. So they had a very harsh punishment. But the Jewish people that joined the rebellion and kind of were swept up with this fervor of rebellion against God, what was their punishment? Their punishment was that God says, you will stay in the Midbar for 40 years, 39 years. So they ended up being in the Midbar another 39 years. And, they, and thereby what? They got exactly what they asked for. They complained, they sinned. What was their sin? They didn't, do, they wanted to, they didn't want to do what God wants, they wanted to do what they wanted. And what's their punishment? They get exactly what they wanted. Now, isn't that a ridiculous punishment? Is the way you punish your child? I'm going to punish you. You said you want to whatever. You, want to, you don't want to go here. You're going to go. Okay, so that's what we're doing. You don't want to go to school. So my punishment to you is you're not going to school. 
It's one thing, okay, you're not going to school, and therefore I'm locking you up in your, in your room, you're, you're closed, you're, you're, what is it called, uh, you have, um, I don't know, I never punished my kids, I don't know. What is it, what is it called, <laughs> I'm sorry, what is it called, uh, downtime or whatever. Uh, uh, um, uh, so you, you don't want to go to school, so, so um, uh, you know, you're going to be, imagine if he doesn't want to go to school, but he, but he gets exactly what he wants. He wants to be on his computer all day, he can play his computer, he wants to nash. He wants to go out and have pizza for lunch. What kind of life did God give to these, to the Jewish people? He gave them a continuation in the Midbar for 40 years. And, what, and, and he continued taking care of them. So it wasn't like, it's one thing to say, okay, they, you might argue the reason they didn't go into Eretz Yisrael because they weren't worthy to go into Eretz Yisrael. Since they weren't worthy, he had to keep them in the desert. Yeah, so that, if he kept them in the desert, he should have taken away the clouds of glory and let them suffer the heat of the desert. He'll keep them alive, but you know, they'll figure out ways. They'll make themselves umbrellas or whatever it is to kind of protect themselves against the heat. Uh, he could have taken away the, 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 the mon or maybe given them on only from time to time and, and they would have had to figure out ways how to deal, because there were merchants there that they can buy food and haul food. Could have made it very, very difficult to them, but that's not what happened. They continued living in the Midbar with the exact same tranquility that they lived the first year. Including what? Moshe and Aaron were with them and they had all the blessings for another 40 years. So that the utopian existence that they so wanted, they got. Is that a punishment? Especially when we know that the, meaning, that the, that the deeper meaning of a punishment is not to punish. God doesn't want to punish in a sense of vengeance. In Judaism, the concept of punishment means tikkun. You need a rectification. The punishment is if you did something, you need to rectify it. So that's why you get a punishment as a means of rectification. Usually the rectification is, if God forbid someone is addicted to something, let's say you're addicted to alcohol, so the rectification involves exercising, learning how to control yourself by not having alcohol. That's how you do a rectification. And so on. Over here, if their problem was that they, were, that they wanted to stay in the desert and so on and so forth, so why would you rectify their blemish by giving them exactly what they wanted? He should have taken all that away from them. And that's how they would have had their rectification. And here they got everything that they wanted. So the answer is, now based on what we said before, they were not craving something essentially bad. They were craving something essentially beautiful. Something extremely noble. These were people that really appreciated spirituality and a relationship with God. That's what, and that's what they wanted. That's what they craved. So being in the Midbar in 40 years is not a negative thing. It's not alcohol. It's not drugs. It's not some kind of a negative thing. It's actually a good thing. There was a, 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 the problem with was this is that Hashem had something better for them or other plans which they didn't follow God. But the essential desire that they had, that wasn't their sin. The sin wasn't that they desired to be in the desert. That's actually a very good thing. We should all desire, and we're soon going to see, we do desire that state. And we should desire that state. So God gave them that. There was no, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not where their sin is. Their sin lies in, 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 in something related to it, meaning in the fact that they didn't follow God. So they needed a tikkun on that. And they got their tikkun. But you can't ask the question, why is he giving them what they want? Because they didn't sin by, 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 with, with that which what they wanted. 
There was something else to it. So to understand this and appreciate this, what exactly then is... See, they want something good, it's very noble, but really there's something much deeper and much higher. And therefore it really was sinful. But as we said earlier, it's a very elegant, it's a very, it's a very elegant sin, it's a refined sin, not, not, not a coarse, gross sin. So to appreciate this, we will take a look at some cryptic statements, not cryptic, but some statements of Maimonides that beg for some clarification. And uh, from there, we're really going to get a good sense of what it means to be in a relationship with Hashem. Rambam in the laws of tshuva, in the laws of repentance. Okay? The last chapter in Perak Yud, Rambam says like this. Al yoimar odom. This is a Perak, Perak Yud, halacha alf. A person should not say, Hareini oisa mitzvah Torah. I am doing the mitzvahs of the Torah, v'oisik b'chachmasa, and I'm engaged in the chachman, the wisdom of the Torah, so that I should receive the blessings that is written in the Torah. Rambam is saying a person should not have ulterior motive when he is serving God. He shouldn't say, I'm serving you, Hashem, I want to receive the blessings. Or, even, it's one thing to say, the Rambam is negating, don't say I'm going to do learn Torah, do mitzvahs, because I want to become wealthy meaning I want to receive the blessings that the Torah gives. Or even I shouldn't, even me, maybe more of an idealistic person. I want to serve God, so I should be able to, come, I, should, I should merit the life of the world to come. Huh? The Ephraim Averis, or I will go away from doing bad, so that I should be protected from the curses that are mentioned in the Torah. Or so that I shouldn't get cut off from the world, from the life of the world to come. Ramam says, don't do that. It is not fitting to serve God with this ulterior motive, this being your motivation in serving Hashem. Because if you're serving with this intention, you're serving out of fear. You're worried about your well-being. You want the best for yourself. So you, you're in, in protection of yourself, you're learning Torah so you should come to a good place and you are preventing yourself, God forbid, from doing bad things because you want to protect yourself. And the Ramam says like this, and they do not serve God in this way, only those ignorant people, and women and children. I want to say something. We have always more women here in Mayan and our classes than the men. Today we have a little bit of a better ratio. Um, Ramam is talking a thousand years ago when women were extremely simple. Women actually didn't learn anything. There was no Jewish, formal Jewish education. So there were a few select women that, that like Rashi's daughters, they were, they were very, 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 very unique uh, exceptions. Today's days, it's all different. Women go to Jewish schools and so on and so forth. Quite on the contrary, I, and not just me, but all those who teach, especially those that are teaching Jewish thought and deeper, deeper, deeper learning are finding that there, that, that there is a greater thirst by the women than there is by the men. So when Ramam classifies as the ignorant, the women and the children, be aware that the Ramam is talking in the days of his time. But in any case, basically he's saying it's an immature type of service with people who haven't been educated and don't really appreciate it. So the Ramam says about these people, it's okay. We educate them to serve God out of fear. 
by telling them that when you do good things, your life will be good. If you do bad things, you know, your cow won't give milk. You speak about punishment. Or, you know, you'll get the olam haba, which is really good and so forth. But you do this achatir bedaton until their mind increases, until they increase their knowledge, the yavdumah and eventually they can serve out of love. So Rambam is saying anybody that serves God with the intention to go to olam haba is called immature. And this is a way of service that is very, very un... This is not a refined kind of a service of Hashem. Fine. Here's the question. So Rambam negates serving Hashem in order to go to Olam Haba. We go back to the previous chapter of the Rambam. Chapter 9. This was in chapter 10. Chapter 9, the last halacha in, in chapter 9 in Hilchus Shuvah, it happens to be only two halacha. So it's halacha base in Perek Tess. Hear this. The Rambam is talking why we should want Mashiach. Why should we want Mashiach? Why were the Jewish people always, what's the motivation? You want, why do you want Mashiach? We want Mashiach now. Why? So the Rambam says, All the Jewish people, the prophets, talking about pretty awesome people, right? The prophets, the Chachomeim, and the wise one. The days of King Mashiach. Why? The only reason they wanted Mashiach is so because in the days of Mashiach they're not going to have the pressure from foreign emperors and, and governments that impede, that get in the way, that do not allow us to be able to study Torah and do mitzvahs the way we should. So we just want and we desire and we long for the days of peace and tranquility. The year when no one is going to bother us. What are Jews going to be doing after Mashiach comes? We're going to be able to increase our knowledge. As when we will do that, we will merit to Olam Haba to the world to come. So you right away, the question jumps right at you. Ramam is contradicting himself. Ramam says over here, you should not serve God in order to come to Olam Haba to come to the to the world to come. And if you do that, that's the way of the ignorant. That's what Ramam says. But in, 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 in the same breath, in the last parak, I'm saying, but just, just, just one halach on the same page. What does Ramam say? That the Chachamim and the Nevi'im yearned for Mashiach. For what? Because then they're going to be able to serve God without any hindrance, with what intentions? So that they should be able to merit Olam Haba. Well, Ramam, you just said, what you're going to say, in the next halacha, that serving Hashem to come to Olam Haba is a bad, is very undesirable. How does it work? How do we make sense of this contradiction? Now, possibly we can answer. I'll give you a possible answer. The possible answer we can say is as follows. In chapter 10, Ramam is actually talking about your motivation. When you're doing a mitzvah, when you are going to put on the tefillin, or when you are going to give tzedakah, and you're stopping a moment and thinking, why am I parting with my money? This is my money. I can buy myself a latte with this money. But instead, that's, I only have $5 change in my pocket. That's all I have. My credit cards I don't have right now, or they're maxed out, or whatever it is. Skatenished. It's not working. I only have $5 in my pocket, and here there is a street beggar that's coming over to me, a nudnik, a guy who I gave yesterday already, on the day before yesterday, and he wants my $5. And I really don't want to give it to him. Or even if I give him a dollar, let's say the latte is four fifty. I don't have the 50 cents. That means goodbye. No latte today. And he, has his, he will have his dollar and I will not have a latte. Why should I do that? Because I need a motivation. 
So Rambam is saying, do it because it's a mitzvah. Don't do it because, oh, if I do this, I'm going to have such a big latte in the world to come. Ooh, and what a latte. It's going to be hot the way it's supposed to be and delicious. Okay, I'm talking already coarse understanding of Olam Haba, but I'm just using that as an example. Okay, so even if, don't do that. So that's your intention while you're doing the mitzvah, don't do it. What the rap? That's a no-no. And if you do that, know you're being very childish. Okay? When Rambam says in the last chapter, Rambam is talking about the general craving of a Jew. The general craving of a Jew could be to Olam Haba. There's nothing wrong with wanting Olam Haba. If God is giving us an Olam Haba, which is going to be ultimately delicious, especially the way the Rambam explains Olam Haba, it means delight and ecstasy and closeness to God. Of course we want that. And of course we want to bring ourselves and enhance ourselves to a place where we will be able to accumulate that which we need in order to go to Olam Haba. So that's okay to want and to desire. So what's in your mind? What do you want, Mashiach? What Mashiach? So I'll be able to live a tranquil life. So that's going to be a stepping, a, 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 a stepping stone. That's going to enable us to be able to get to Olam Haba. But, it, but even in the days of Mashiach, it doesn't mean that I'm going to do the mitzvah when I'm going to do a mitzvah, that I'm doing it in order to go to Olam Haba. Now by the way, this answer, it's a very logical answer, Pirish HaMashnayis, the explanation, Ramam wrote another sefer, and in addition to his Yad HaChazakah, his Allah sefer, Ramam wrote another book called Pirish HaMishnah. So in his commentary for Mishnah, Ramam explicitly says that. The Rambam says, even though a Jew's motivation, a person's motivation, should be um, Olam Haba and the Ishtadlus, we should try to do that and get to Olam Haba. Yet, Rambam says, that should, but it's not fitting for a person to make that his motivation in actually doing a mitzvah. Do a mitzvah because it's a mitzvah. So we, can, so we can answer that. The problem of why that's not glot. Glot means it's not smooth. We can get away if you want to get away just with an answer. But if you're looking for something a little smoother, this is not so smooth. The reason is because the Rambam does use, use the words, the yimtzul goya, that when Mashiach will come, we will find tranquility. The year bu and at that time we'll be able to learn a lot of Torah, a lot of wisdom, to be able to merit the Olam Abba. Which implies that the general attitude we want, if you want that time, We'll be able to learn Torah, do mitzvahs. So even if I'm not thinking at the moment that I'm doing it for the Olam Haba, but if my general thrust in my whole excitement about Mashiach is to be able to do a lot of mitzvahs and I have a purpose in my mitzvahs. What's my end goal? I want to get to the next stage. I want to get to the Olam Haba. It seems like there's ulterior motive. Even if I'm not thinking and I'm not saying it while I'm doing the mitzvah, but it's still in the back of my mind. So something, something, something doesn't fit. So we have to come up with another, with another explanation. So in order to understand this, uh, let me present another question in Rambam. Okay? I just quoted to you what Rambam says. Rambam says that a childish service, a childish service, an immature service, is when you're serving with the intentions for reward, whether it's the blessings of the Torah, the material blessings, or the spiritual blessings. In the next halacha, Rambam tells you how you should serve God. What is the appropriate way? Serving God not out of fear, which he discussed earlier, serving God out of love. 
And what does it mean to serve Hashem out of love? If you serve Hashem out of love, then you engage in Torah and mitzvahs. And you walk in the pathways of wisdom. You're not doing it because anything in the world. Not because it's not because you fear the bad. And not because to inherit the good. I'm not going to read the, the Hebrew and everything, so I don't have to translate. I'm just going to read it in English. But rather you do the truth because it's true. And in the end, the good will come. But you're doing truth because it's, because it's the right thing to do. Because this is true. Because God asked it of you. Then Ramam said, but hear this. That's the way we should serve God. And then Ramam continues, but here's, here listen closely, because over here again, we're going to come to a major problem. Ramam says, And this is a very, very, very high level. Very high level. Very high level. And watch these words. And not every wise man will achieve this. Not every even sage, not every wise man will achieve this. Who achieved this? This is the quality of Avram, our father, the patriarch. Avram, Hashem said, he's one who loves me. He's my best friend. Because he served God only out of love. So Ramam is saying, the right way to serve Hashem is out of love. Not because you're expecting reward. But you should know, not everybody merits this. And not even wise men rarities. Special tzaddikim like Avram Avinu have attained this. So hold it. Now we end up with another problem. Again, Rambam contradicts himself. He doesn't stop contradicting himself. He just said in the last halacha that if you're serving God for any other motive to get reward, not only physical reward, even spiritual reward, that's the way children serve God. That's the way ignorant people serve God. The wise people and the Nevi'im, Ramam said openly in the last halacha, the wise people and the, and the, the, the Lashon I want to tell you, um, uh, it's not the quality of the Nevi'im of the prophets and not of the wise men. That means wise men don't do this. How do they serve God? Not for Olam Haba. So what then do they want? Probably they do the truth because it's true. That means all wise people, anybody that's not in the category of being ignorant and childish, will serve Hashem not for the reward, but serve Hashem in order, in order to serve Him. But then Ramam tells you in a minute that not everybody merits this. Only Avram Avinu, or great people like Avram. So where does that leave all the people that are not ignorant? Follow my question? People that are not ignorant or childish, but they're also not Avram Avinu. Where exactly does Maimonides place them? They're not doing it, you can't say they're doing it for Olam Haba, reward, because then they would be considered ignorant. They wouldn't be called Chachamim, they definitely wouldn't be called Nevi'im. On the other hand, Ramam says that who serves Hashem for, without any ulterior motive? Only because it's true. Only big Chachamim, only Avram Avinu and his, and his companions, and his, and his friends. <laughs> so what does it put... All other righteous, wise, mature people. Where does it put them? So I'm saying, Ramam seems not to leave any room in the middle. So what's that? So this forces us to say that we have to differentiate 
between two levels of serving God for Olam Haba. There are two levels of serving Hashem for Olam Haba. One is coarse, bent. See, serving God, serving Hashem so that He will give you, so that I will become rich. Do a mitzvah so that you should be, we should do be successful in business, or we should have a very good wife. That's super coarse. Super coarse. It's not wrong. It's very coarse. Serving Hashem to, to get Olam Haba, it's a little more refined, but it's also, it's also coarse. And that's what the Ramah means. It's the level of the ignorant. It's the level of the immature. I'm serving God because I want a reward. What kind of reward? I know, the, I know this world is really, it's not worth it. The, the pleasures of this world. The pleasures of Olam Abba. And even if the pleasures of Olam Abba mean it's a delight in Hashem, but still, I want a reward. I want to lay on a, on a, on a beach chair and drink a pina colada and enjoy godliness. Even if, even if I want to enjoy godliness, that, 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 that's what it is. But, I, but I'm looking for the tranquility, I'm looking for that experience, I'm looking for that ecstasy of like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really good now, I'm feeling really The spiritual stuff, this godly stuff is just awesome. That kind of a feeling, that kind of a thing is also very coarse. And that includes someone in the ignorant and in the childish state of mind. When Ramam, however, says that the Chachamim and the Nevi'im served, wanted Mashiach so that they should be able to merit Olam Haba, he doesn't mean Olam Haba as a reward. He means Olam Haba as the ultimate state of divine service. We have to differentiate here very closely. It's very gewaldic. There's two experiences of Olam Haba. There's Olam Haba as a selfish uh, experience of receiving reward. I worked hard, now I'm enjoying myself or this Olam Abba because I love you God and I want to be in a relationship with you and all my life I'm doing mitzvahs and I'm pursuing a relationship with you I want closeness I want intimacy I want to feel you connect to you I want vacus. and I realize that there is what's the ultimate vacus? in my physical body very little vacus now because we've got so much happening we have so little Ability to be able to truly concentrate and meditate and cleave. Even in the days of Mashiach, when things will be quiet and there won't be all the distraction, there won't be all the noise, and we won't have all the impurity in the world and all that garbage. So we will be able to really, really tune into God and really connect. Wow, that's great, but it's not the ultimate. It's not the ultimate. The ultimate, ultimate experience, Rambam says, is Olam Abba. According to Rambam, Olam Abba is when you don't have a body. Okay, I'm not going to get into that question right now. With a body, not a body. But I don't have a body either. And then I can just, just kind of cling to God in ultimate attachment. Not because that's like, Ah, I don't have to work anymore. This is great. This is thrilling. Not because of that. Because my objective and everything is cleaving to you, Hashem. And this is my deepest cleaving, my deepest attachment. Ramam actually says, hey, what the Ramam say? Hey, what the Ramam says over here? Dover It's the last halacha in Hilchus Tshuva, halacha vav in Perik, the same Perik. It is known she'ena avas hakadosh baruch hu nikshelis beliboy. The love of God does not become attached to someone's heart. until he obsesses about it all the time. When you will. Uh, 
leave go, let go in anything of the world other than Hashem. And we can't do that in this world because we like stuff. We can't just obsess on God. We like because of our physical body, because of our unrefined state. We want, we want all kinds of other physical pleasures and delights. So we can't really concentrate. We want money, we want food, we want this kind of pleasure, we want to travel, we want, we want all the stuff that's very. But the Raman, but that means that we don't have, our, our hearts are not obsessing on one thing, our minds are not completely focused on Hashem. You can't really experience the true dveikus in God. Like it says, all your heart means there's no space in your heart for anything else. And, and how do you cleave? You cleave when you have the ultimate knowledge. By the way, the Rambam, earlier in, 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 in Halacha Gimel, Rambam says, what's the appropriate love to Hashem? The Rambam says it's like someone falling madly in love with a girl, with a woman, and he can't stop thinking of her day and night. When he's eating and sleeping, she's never off his mind. Because he's so, he's so upset. He's called it an obsession. Ramam talks about an obsession with God as being the ultimate love. And as I mentioned, Ramam says, now obviously, such a state we can't achieve until the ultimate state of Olam Haba. This is not, going back, this is not reward. Give me enjoyment, give me pleasure. I want to serve you, God. I want to connect to you, God. I want to cleave to you. Torah mitzvah is a means, a means of me bonding with you, Hashem. And this is the ultimate cleaving and the ultimate bonding. That's what Rambam means that the Chachamim and the Nevi'im wanted Moshiach. Because they wanted Olam Abba. They wanted this, this state of ultimate attachment. That's okay. That's very noble. What Rambam says over here that, sh- that women, or he's, and, and again, in, in, in the way the Rambam looked at the women in, in his days, children and the ignorant people that, that, that love God, that, that do their, can, they want reward, uh, including even reward of Allah Mabba, means give me pleasure, whatever pleasure. One day I'll appreciate higher pleasure, but give me pleasure. It's a, it's a selfish kind of an experience. Give me pleasure. Let it be Olam Haba. That Rambam negates. But now, so now we can, that answers already the first question. But now we can also understand what Rambam is saying about Avram Avinu. Now Rambam is adding, even though it is appropriate to serve God with a desire for Olam Haba, but not the Olam Abba of reward. The Olam Abba of the epitome of Dveikus and cleaving and attachment to Hashem. That Olam Abba is okay. That's not childish. That's an appropriate desire. David HaMelech yearned for Olam Abba. Ramam says earlier, come out longing. That's like that. Dveikus is the ultimate thing. Ramam says there's something deeper, something higher, something even more noble than that. And what is that? When you, do, when you love God so much that you do what God asks you to do just because He asked you. You don't want anything from it. Not even the closeness you get by, by doing it. Not even the fact that I'm doing your will and as a result of me doing it, I'm becoming attached to you. Even that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is only one thing. You, God, want something and I want to give you. I want to be of service of you. 
I love you so selflessly. I don't care at all how this is going to affect me or what I'm getting out of it. I just want you to be satisfied and you to have what you want. That's the love. Because you see, when you're, when you're doing the mitzvahs and you... And you, and you so, so what's your, your objective? Your objective is the mitzvah or you want something from the mitzvah? You want the attachment that comes as a result of the mitzvah. There's a little shaloy l'shma there, you see? You're not doing the mitzvah for the sake of the mitzvah. There is something else in your mind. I want the mitzvah so that I can gain your companionship and your closeness. As opposed to doing the thing just because. Okay, let's, let's translate it into simple language because we're talking very, very, very abstract ideas. Let's translate this into simple language. I need to go to the airport. I need to go to the airport. I need a ride. I have three ways to get a ride. One way to get a ride is simple. Today's days it became so easy. I call Uber. I get a ride from Uber. Uber driver pulls up. Three minutes, Uber driver is here. I get into the car, he takes me to the airport. Now Uber driver, he or she, couldn't care less about me. There is no relationship over here. There is no love. I don't know this person from Mars. Most likely, in the rest of my life, I will never see this person after this half an hour ride. Why in the world, why are they doing it? Why in the world are they giving me a ride to the airport? They couldn't care less about me making my flight or getting to the airport. They want one thing. They want to get paid. Give me the payment. That's what I want. If it takes giving you a ride to the airport, I'll give you a ride to the airport. That's one way to get a ride to the airport. Here's another way. I came to New York or I came to LA for just a few hours. I came to a wedding. And I'm here and I have to run back to the airport. I don't have time for any of the leisurely meetings or experiences. I have a very dear friend I would love to meet. And I would know that that friend would give anything to, to spend some time with me. But I don't have time to be with them because I'm busy. I have a wedding. I don't have, I, or I have a business. I have something I need to take care of. I don't have time. But I really want to give them the opportunity. And I want to, be, to, to have the time with them. And I want to give them because I know how meaningful it would be if we get, to, we get a chance to sit together. So what do I do? I call them up and I say, I'm here in town. I'm only here till so and so. And by a wedding, 12 o'clock is my flight. I need to get to the airport. At, I need to leave at 10.30, let's say, to the airport. Do you, would you want to give me a ride and take me to the airport so we can... Oh, so the person is all excited. He's really excited. It's an old teacher of theirs. And they get a chance to reconnect. It's a good friend. It's a family. Whatever. Someone that you really enjoyed. A really good buddy I haven't seen for a while. So you're giving them a ride. And what's your intentions in giving them the ride? You're giving them the ride because you're enjoying your companionship. You're getting to be close to them and talk to them during this time that you otherwise wouldn't have. So over here, is it reward? It's not reward. It's not that I want the payment. I'm not paying the person. The person is not getting paid. But they are getting payment. What's their payment? Their payment is the relationship itself. There is ulterior motive. There's something else over there. But here is now the third. But it seems great. It's awesome. But let's take a look at the third level. I'm at the wedding at 10.30 and I need to get to the airport. But I have a very, very, very important phone call to make. And I know that I'm going to be on the phone for a half an hour on the ride to the airport. 
So the person who's going to give me the ride, I can't even talk to them two words. Because the entire time I'm going to be on this phone that I must be on. I have a problem. The best thing to do, I can't call my friend who, who wants to spend time with me because that's not time spent. I'm going to be talking on the phone. There's no communication. There's no, there's no closeness. So what am I going to do? Let me call Uber. That's, the bet. That's perfect for Uber. I'm going to talk on the phone. Uber is going to drive me. Uber doesn't care if I'm talking on the phone. He'd rather me talk on the phone. He's going to listen to his music. And everything is good. Right? Problem is, I can't call Uber. I don't have Uber on my phone. My credit card isn't working. I don't have no money. I don't know. I can't call Uber. It's not working. I don't know what to do. So how am I going to get to the airport? So I start thinking and thinking, and then I realize that I have a super, super, super close friend that loves me so much, so, so much. And I'm comfortable calling them and telling them that I'm, I need a ride to the airport. But I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I really feel bad telling you this, that I cannot talk to you because I have a, an, an, an emergency phone call that I need to be on for that half an hour. It's an emergency. I need to take care of this. I would love. Can you give me the ride? And the person says, with pleasure. Why do they say with pleasure? Because to them, the mere fact that they can give me a ride and be in service to someone they love so much and they cherish so much or they admire so much, even if they're not going to gain any bit of closeness, they're not going to have anything in the car. But the mere fact that the one that they love so much, they could be in service to them, will make their day. And here's the thing, I don't even feel bad asking this person because I know I'm, the mere fact that I'm giving them the opportunity to do that is actually going to make them so happy. They're going to feel, I've made their day by asking them this, to, this favor. Obviously you understand that these are only in very deep relationships. It's a teacher who's been this student's teacher all their life and the student learned so much. He basically saved the person's life. You've done everything for them. And you feel that if you give them an opportunity to do something back and take you and, and, and that, that's like awesome. Or you, so it's, that, that's going to make them happy. It's not like you're being a burden. It's not like sometimes you call someone they have no choice. They'll say, yeah, I'll take you to the airport. But I'm talking about in a case where you know the person is doing it with love and there's no grudge in their heart. They're happy. They don't have to talk to you. That's the ultimate selfless love. I just love you. And I just want to do something for you. Even if I don't get anything from it. That's the love of Avram Avinu. That's beyond Olam Haba. That's beyond all levels Olam Haba. I'm looking for a Dveikos. Because even Dveikos is, is, is a pleasure that I'm getting. I'm attaching myself to you. But here I'm not even getting that pleasure. I'm doing the truth... Because the truth is truth. Not because of anything else. Because, of, because I want to do this for you, Hashem. Hashem says, Avram, you're my friend. Avram is the Abishter's ultimate friend. That what, that's what the Rambam says. Not every Chacham, even a wise people, even Sadiqim, not everybody has attained such level of selfless transcendence, of complete Removal of self to be able to do, serve Hashem all their life just because this is what makes Hashem happy. So now let's go back. So now everything in Rambam fits. But now let's go back and we'll understand the Miraglim. Now we'll understand the Miraglim. 
So, so let me to, to, so, to, make, to make it clear, let's just summarize. Comes out to three levels of service. There is the immature childish service. That's the Uber driver. Give me a reward. Pay me. I, I want my payment. There is the next level of, and including if the, if the payment is olam haba, but it's still a, a olam haba that's pleasure for me. Give me my pleasure. There is the wise people, great men. Their service is like the good friend who wants to give you a ride, but they'll only enjoy the ride if you're talking to them. And they get the chance to have private time with you. And that's what they really want. They want that companionship. They want that closeness. That's wise people. Those are the people that want olam haba, but they don't want olam haba because of the reward of it. They want olam haba because that's the chance to have ultimate dveikus in God. Finally, the Avram Avinu Jews, the real, real selfless Yidin who serve God with the ultimate love, is the friend who can give you a ride even when you're going to be on the phone the entire time and still be happy that they gave you the ride because they love serving you and, and making you happy. So these are the three levels. Now we'll understand where the Maraglim were at and why the punishment they got was to stay in the desert. Here's what happened. The Miraglim were actually on the level of all the Chachamim and the Nevi'im, that high level that we spoke about earlier, that have nothing other in their mind but Dveikus and the Ebishter. <laughs> What's the ultimate state of Dveikus? The Midbar. The Midbar is similar to the Messianic age. What's Mashiach's time? What did we say earlier? A time when there's no distractions, no one is bothering you, no one is... You have no headaches, you can devote yourself totally to Dveikus, to the Ebishter. To lead, which will lead you to the ultimate Dveikus of Olam Haba. Well, the Maraglim had that opportunity in the Midbar. Nothing, there was nothing on their mind, no, inter, no, no interferences, no problem, nothing was bothering them. They were able to learn, to learn Torah day and night and connect and realize their dveka, have Moshe, Aaron, the Mishkan, the Shechina, everything was Gavaldic. There's nothing wrong with that. We said earlier, Ramam says, that's why the Chachamim desired Olam Haba. And who are the Chachamim? These Maraglim. They were the Chachamim who desired, who desired to live that life. Why should they exchange it? What's going to happen when they go into Eretz Yisrael? They're going to lose the opportunity for dveikus. It's going to be a tremendous diminishment of their dveikus. It's like going from the ride where you have companionship to go to the ride where the other person's on the phone the whole time. I mean, you can't connect to him. Here, it's not the opposite. It's not because they're on the phone, because when I'm going to imagine if I'm the, I'm the guy giving the ride, and I know that I'm going to give you a ride, but my life right now is such that I'm going to have to be on the phone the whole time, and I won't be able to talk to you. So imagine that. It's a person who wants, he knows, I can either stay now and in my current situation and have the relationship and have the companionship and the closeness, or I'm going to run to Eretz Yisrael and basically I'm going to be bamboozled with a thousand thoughts and all, and I won't be able to have my dveikus in the Ebershter. So of course they don't want it. They don't want it. You don't blame them. But what's, what's the problem? The second level of love is great, but it's not the ultimate, ultimate love. Had they gone into Eretz Yisrael to do the physical mitzvahs that God wants them to do, at that moment they would have surrendered themselves completely to God and they would have done something for God because this makes God Hashem happy. Even if temporarily it is impeding on their dveikus. They would do the mitzvah. These are things that are meaningful to Hashem. The physical mitzvahs that you're doing in the midst of a barrage of distractions, of all the problems that you have in your life, and yet you're doing the mitzvah. That is meaningful to the Abishter. These actions. 
The reason why they didn't appreciate it, they had a whole lot, a lot of love. But their love wasn't deep enough. Their love still had some selfish traces to it. I love you, but I love my connection to you. Not I love you, and I don't even matter, I just love you. They were lacking in that. So you know what? What, was there, what, was, what, what did Hashem do? He said, okay, so you will stay in the Midbar, and you will continue to love me, and to cleave to me, and to connect to you, to me. And you're going to grow in your maturity, in your connection to me, and maybe one day you'll be in the place where you'll love me, you'll appreciate that the ultimate love is to be able to do what I'm asking you to do without feeling that you need to have a connect, you need to gain something out of that, just to be able to do something for me. So leaving them in the midbar was actually an exercise to help them get to the ultimate love. They themselves never really reached it. They did attain it, but they didn't attain it for themselves. They attained it for their children. It's like the famous story of the person that climbed the mountain and climbed and climbed and climbed. It took him weeks and months to climb Mount Everest to get to the top. And then he sees a little kid there. And he says, what are you doing here? And the kid says, I was born here. You see the... the, 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 the next generation was born from parents who reached ultimate levels of love. So the next generation had that love. And they were able to go into the land and do mitzvahs just because it's Hashem's mitzvah. Just because this is what gives the Ebeshter Nachas. This is what God wants. Take a look. If you take a look in what, in what, in what Kalev says, and Yeshua says, I think Kalev says it, Im banu Hashem. If God desires us, He can bring us into the land. What does that mean? The ultimate going into the land is this is what God desires. Hashem desires and Hashem knows what kind of good friend we are that He can ask us to do something that maybe does not have that thrill and that enjoyment of the Dveikus but yet He can ask us to do it for Him because of the purity of our love. And that's greater than any Dveikus which involves your pleasure. Awesome. Awesome explanation. This is crazy. But here, the Rebbe takes this to a whole much deeper level. The Rebbe says, but hold it, let's go back to Rambam for a moment. Let's go back to Rambam for a moment. Rambam says, if you're serving Hashem like Avram Avinu, this highest level, Rambam says, Oisa emes mipneshu emes, you do the truth because it's true. V'soif hatoiva lovoi biglala. Here it says biglal, but in, in, in other gears it says, that you do, you do the truth because it's true. In the end, the good will come. Which is strange. If we're dealing with someone who's serving Hashem with such selflessness, why are you telling him in the end, you, you know, you, you do the mitzvah, but in the, end it's, in the end, the good will catch up with you. I don't care about the good. I just want to do the mitzvah. It's almost like it says... You know, the, the sages say, whoever's chasing after covet, whoever chases after resp- honor, the honor runs away from them. But it says, those who run away from honor, the honor will chase after them. That's like the most ridiculous thing to tell someone. Run away from honor, so the honor will run after you, right? <laughs> so are they really running away from the honor, or are they running towards the honor, or are they running away from the honor? Like someone says, I've been running away from honor all the life, and it's not, and it's not, and it's not, it's not, it's not I'm not getting honor, no one's honoring me. He said, and then the rabbi said, yeah, because you keep on turning back to see if it's coming after you. If you don't turn your head back to see if it's coming after you, you're going to get it. But, I, but if we're talking about true ulterior, uh, 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 altruistic service, so what are you telling him? The, the rewards will come. 
The answer to that is as follows. Mesiras nefesh to go love. To love and not care the consequence. To love ultimately leads you to a much higher and deeper dveikos in Hashem than if you're doing, if your ambition is dveikos. You can search dveikos, dveikos, dveikos all day long. I want dveikos. I want to feel close to you. I want to be connected to you. I want to That's great. And it will lead you to great things. Ultimately, ultimately to Olam Haba, which is the ultimate dveikos. It's great. But you will always experience God with the limitations of you because at the core of your being is your desire for dveikos. But if you can collapse your parameters, if you can dissolve yourself completely, just and forget about yourself, and do something that God wants you to do just because God wants you to do, at this moment, you have dissolved completely in Him. And then you can experience Him on a godly level, not as, not a, so the ultimate dveikus is then accomplished on a much deeper level than when you want dveikus because you want dveikus. So ultimately, the surrender to Hashem by doing what Hashem wants will lead you not only to that selfless surrender to Hashem, but actually will also bring you in a, in a deeper dveikus. Not that you care about, you're looking for that, but that's ultimately, that, that's ultimately the, 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 the Indian, because you now, the very idea that you could able, you're able to put yourself completely inside and not even think of your attachment to Hashem shows how much you are Him. And if you are Him, you, you become Him. And you become Him, your, your dveikus is on the highest level. So think about what, what, what Yeshua and Kalev say. This idea. They use the words, Toiva. Let's go into the land, they say. Toiva ha'aretz mo'od mo'od. The land is good, very good. Two times good. The land is good, very, very good. What's the very, very? The double mo'od. Why? Because Rambam discusses Olam Haba. The, 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 the Rambam says the greatness of Olam Abba is that you, you experience ultimate attachment to Hashem. Very good. And that's called the Mo'oid. He says Mo'oid. David HaMelech I think was craving for it. Mo'oid very much. Tova, it says that, that there's no Tova that can compare to that. Why? Because it's a goodness that's not human. It's an experience that's godly. And all the good of this world can't compare to it. That's why it's called much. You will have a much experience. The true idea of much is that it's endless. That's your dveikus in the Eibishter, but it's still you seeking that connection. There's a little trace of self always there that's hindering and, limit, and making it ma'od, but not ma'od, ma'od. But if we go into the land and we surrender ourselves completely to the Eibishter without any personal desire, just because God wants us to do that, then what are we attained? What, is, uh, what, what do they say? Toiva ha'aretz. The land will lead you. Mo'oid, mo'oid. Two, two times mo'oid. Which means that the level of actual union with God is infinitely higher than the one who's obsessed with Vekus. Now the question is, how does this apply to each and every one of us small little people? Rambam says this is Avram Avinu, great man. When the previous Rebbe, the previous Chabad Rebbe, as soon as coming up, Chaydish Tamas, the story of his arrest, he was actually arrested the 15th day of Sivan. Whoever didn't read the story of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe's arrest and his release, you got to read it. It's unbelievable. You see Messiris Nafish on the highest level. But I just saw a little incident that I've never seen before. When the Friediger Rebbe, when the previous Chabad Rebbe of Yosef Yitzchak was standing by the gates of hell, they were ready to take him, take him into the place 
that very few people saw the light of day after they went into that dark dungeon. They tortured, they killed ruthlessly thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people were shot and killed and tortured in those dungeons. The Friedrich Rebbe is going in there not because of his own petty crimes. Friedrich Rebbe was going into jail because of his service to God. They heard the previous Rebbe mumble under his, in his, under his nose, meaning in a, low, in a low voice. The Friedrich Rebbe said as follows, right when he was ready to enter. If you're going to continue your work to make more cheders, Jewish schools, you can go in. If not, at the entrance, sin is lurking. Do you understand that? What does the Friedrich Rebbe say? I'm not going to allow myself the luxury of self-sacrifice. What do you mean self-sacrifice? You're ready to die for God? You're going to the most horrible place for what? No. If it's serving Hashem's purpose that I should go in jail, that means I'm going to, as a result of me being in jail, I'm going to increase in making more schools of, 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 for, for little children in Russia. Then it's needed to go to jail for that. I'm willing to go to jail for that. But if it's not going to happen, I'm just going to be the hero that I'm sacrificing myself for God, then that itself is sinful. That I'm not going in. That's Avram Avinu. That's the level of Avram Avinu. There's not, it's not even about my self-sacrifice. It's about one, because what does God want? Does God want a hero that, that, that dies for him? Or God wants children in Russia to know Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Mitzvah should continue, Judaism should continue. The Friedrich Rebbe is dedicated only to that. Well, that's a previous Rebbe, that's big tzaddik. What's with all the rest of us, all regular people? Here is the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Here is the Lubavitcher Rebbe that has seized the beauty of every Jew. So the Rebbe says, take a look in Rambam. The Rambam says... After the Rambam speaks about the Milo of Avram Avinu and, uh, and no one is zoichet to this, the Rambam concludes in Allah Beis. Remember the same line where he says that this is not not every chacham is zoichet to this. The Rambam says, "Vohi hamayla shetzivanu akadish baruch waidei Moshe Rabbeinu," and this is the quality that God commanded us through Moshe Rabbeinu. Shenema vahaftas Hashem alokecha. You should love God with all your heart and all your and all your soul. It doesn't make any sense. You just said that very few people can do this. And in the same breath you're saying, and this is what Moshe Rabbeinu commanded us, all the Jewish people. He's commanding us something that's impossible. So the Rebbe says, from here you see, that Ramam is saying like this, this that no one can attain it but Avram Avinu, only big tzaddikim can attain it, like Avram Avinu, that's on your own kaychas. With your own powers, you can only attain it only if you're like a tzaddik like Avram Avinu. Once God commands you to love Him that way, with selfless love, God's commandment to love Him that way enables every Jew. Every Jew means every Jew. Even Jews that are so far, so removed, so, so, so coarse, even they can serve Hashem like Avram Avinu served Him. With that selflessness. But, it, but, 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 but I'm just going to say one thing. He says it, it doesn't mean... There's two experiences. One meaning, you're full of love. Your heart, it's an emotion. 
a burning emotion with love? No, that only Avram Avinu, big tzaddikim, can reach such, because that comes from an incredible knowledge of God. Not everybody has the capacity for such knowledge. So not everybody has the capacity to experience that emotion of love that brings them to this utter selflessness. But he says, the action, the attitude of doing something with purity because Hashem commanded you, commanded you, and I'm doing this utterly selflessly, Hashem, without the emotion of it, but just the, 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 the translating it into the final action, every Jew is able to do it. We can do mitzvahs motivated with one thing. Hashem, I want to give you what you want. Not olam haba, not the dveikus, and so forth. By the way, that comes when we learn Hasidus. We learn Hasidus. We learn, you see, the attitude by Hasidim in general is that I do a mitzvah, I chop a Jew, do a mitzvah, and my biggest pleasure is a Jew put on tefillin. A yid that I don't need, no, don't give me no olam haba, don't give me a, just one thing. Here's another yid putting on tefillin. Here's another Jewish woman lit Shabbos candles. Ah, that's a whole different story. So this is, this is where it's at. This is, this is where it's at, right before Mashiach comes. Let's just do, 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 do. Do mitzvahs, do godly things, just because this is this is emes, this is true, this is the ebesh des nachas. We have it within us. The koiches are there, the abilities are there, especially to the last generation, right as Moshiach's light shines upon us. And I think the Rebbe revealed it in our generation. This ability to be able to do a mitzvah in the purest way possible. Not because of what we're going to get, but just because this is what should be done and needs to be done. Toiva Oretz, the land is good, Ma'od, Ma'od. May we merit a full revelation of Hashem's love to the Jewish people, our love to Hashem, in a revealed way, the coming of Mashiach now. Oh Hashem, I want to talk to you, I want to get close to you. Oh Hashem, I wanna talk to you. I wanna get close to you. to you.